And today we're going to see Jesus speaking about oaths, and really speaking about honesty, speaking truth. We don't use formal vows or oaths too often today, which is which is a good thing. They're not to be misused or overused, or else no one would take them seriously, right? Uh, but we do have some famous oaths or famous vows in our culture. Uh, this this week we might be thinking what might come to mind right away is, is a presidential oath. That oath says, "I do solemnly swear." Remember, they're supposed to put their hand on their Bible and their right hand up. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of the President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. And he says, so help me God. Now, I'm not the President after having said that. There's a couple things that uh, I skipped over there, like winning an election and being before the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, you know, other things like that. So I'm not the President after saying that, but that's the oath anyways. I think about wedding vows. Uh, the husband and the wife, they vow to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do they part. We think about court. If you were to be called into court, the witness, before their question, they have to take that oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And of course, there's the promise of all promises. The pinky promise. Nothing can break the pinky promise. Uh, more informally, when people are making official oaths, uh, but they do want you to believe them, they might say things like, I promise, I promise, or I really mean it. They might even say, I swear to God, right? Or would I ever lie to you? That's kind of like the, wah, wah, it's going off in our head, right? When that's a, we want people to be honest. We know it's right to be honest. And we want people to believe us. Truth be told, even when we aren't telling the truth, we want people to believe us, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't be saying that to them. The truth is, the world has known lying since the fall of man. Oaths and vows and swearing, they hold their weight or perhaps they lack weight because lying exists. That's why. We could also say this, laws exist because sin exists. And because mankind are sinners, we even take laws that are written for our good and for the good of others and and figure out ways to manipulate them to our hurt. And this was certainly the case for the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jewish people during the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And as we've been working through Matthew chapter 5 and working our way through uh, what is called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been teaching those who were there in attendance on that day what the law actually taught, actually required. And God's law, remember, is summed up in just two commands. Remember, Jesus taught that the two most important were to love God, to love your neighbors. In chapter 5, verses 21 through 48, there's A series of six examples here where the religious leaders had taken God's perfect law and manipulated it in ways to to benefit themselves, or so they thought, to benefit themselves. This is what they were doing. They had become experts in reading the law in order to find just how far they could go, what they could get away with, a very dangerous and unloving way to read the law. 
And so in these verses, 21 through 48, Jesus gives these six examples, uh, starting out each one with a phrase such as, you have heard that it was said, meaning this is what you've been taught by these religious leaders. And then the follow-up phrase, but I say to you, meaning, but this is what the law of God really means. Remember, Jesus Christ is God. He is God the Son. So he's not uh, going to misunderstand. He's not going to misrepresent the word of God as found in the Old Testament. And I've said this now for the last couple of weeks, but it's worth repeating. Uh, In these verses, Jesus is not saying these are the old rules, but now that I'm here and from here on out, now, now you have to do it this way. No, this is not what's happening. Uh, What's happening in these passages is God the Son revealing the way that sinful man has twisted the grace of God in God's revealed word and by default revealing the reality that we've all fallen short. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so from all of these examples, we can learn both uh, what is the right way to obey God in these matters as we would hunger and thirst for righteousness to do the right thing And we also learn that it's right for us either to realize, maybe for the first time, or to remember that we are, in fact, poor in spirit, in need of rescue. And by God's grace, rescued through the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These are things that ought to come to mind as we read through these these examples through this passage. And so today, today's example is number four out of six, uh, centered around the idea of swearing or, or the taking of an oath. So let's look into God's word and see uh, what he would teach us today. Verse 33, Matthew five thirty-three. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, this is what you've been taught. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So there was the two, two commands there. Number one, you shall not swear falsely. Number two, perform to the Lord what you've sworn. So first, the first swearing carries the idea of making false vows or or committing perjury even. Uh, This is the negative sense of the command. So don't lie. Don't go against what you've promised. The second part of the teaching, the word for swear literally means to enclose with offense Uh, Build up a fence to keep you restricted, to keep you in, uh, to put up a barrier or to bind together. The idea being, uh, in making a vow or in taking an oath, you've just limited your future actions or bound your future actions to that promise you've made and the person to whom you made the promise. You are bound to your oath. So go do it. Go do it. So, so far, so good, right? Uh, Nothing there that we would necessarily disagree with. Let's see where this comes from. Where in the Old Testament had they gathered this teaching? Well, Numbers 30, uh, verse 2 says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord, or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 23, 21 says, If you make a vow... To the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. Now, we might hear those commands and say, well, yeah, sounds sounds good. 
Say what you do and do what you say. That sounds like a right way to live. If you make an oath, fulfill it. Be true to your word. What's the problem? How is this any kind of manipulation? Remember, the religious leaders were twisting these commands. They were twisting them somehow. And Jesus, Jesus is saying that their use of this principle or of this law was a misuse. So our job at the moment is to find out what, what went wrong. What's going on here? And I'll tell you where the clue is. In both the Numbers verse and the Deuteronomy verse, the key words were, to the Lord. To the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with those words. Those verses were read right out of Scripture. So if a man vows a vow to the Lord, is what we're focusing on. Now listen to these other passages that were attached to this teaching. And I'll try to emphasize some more clues here. Leviticus 19.12 You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 6.13, it is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Exodus 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Then Deuteronomy 5.11 is a repeat of Exodus 27, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In all these verses, with the emphasis that I was given there, what sticks out? Say, well, the name of God or the name of the Lord. Don't use his name in vain. So then, and all those verses are great, by the way. Those things are true. Those things are right. But then if we read these verses, twisting them up, looking for a way out, or for permission to do wrong. Remember that principle of, can I go this far? Well, can I do this and it's not sin? Can I do that and it's not sin? If we're reading the Bible that way, what might we find? Well, what if I make a promise, but I make the promise based on, let's say, the temple, like the church building, or, or the altar at the temple, Not in the name of God. See how clever I am? (laughs) I'm not saying I swear to God. I'm just saying I swear by the temple of God. That way, I'm not actually taking the name of the Lord in vain. And my promises don't really have to be fulfilled. Should we say woo after that? And now I can make promises I never intend to keep because I'm not taking God's name in vain. Doesn't that sound great? I can sound super spiritual by taking oaths on spiritual things and not break any commands. I can get away with breaking promises and criticize other people who break their promises that were given in God's name. Perfect. If only they were experts in the law like me. Do you see how that is an expert in the law? What that, what that looks like there? And you might be thinking, are you kidding me? It sounds kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? Even just saying it, acting it out <laughs> sounds ridiculous. Did they really use those verses to make some promises valid and then other promises breakable on purpose? Did they really do that on purpose and call that expertise? 
Turn to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23, verses 16 through 22. Uh, In this part of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gives seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees for their hypocrisy and wickedness. And he was very direct. He didn't pull any punches. And one of the woes that Jesus spoke against them was on this same topic of making vows or taking oaths. So let's see what Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees. Matthew 23, 16 through 22. Jesus says, Woe to you, blind guides. Remember, they thought they were seeing. They thought they saw better than anybody else. Blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. What's he saying there? If you swear by anything, you're swearing by God. You see what they're doing, though, the Pharisees? They actually had a whole system written out in books They had pamphlets uh, published on what oaths were not binding and which ones were and how the validity of the oath would rise or fall based on the value of what they were swearing on. There was a whole system of it. In our day, think of all the the graphs and charts you could have drawn. The rules they made up were so ridiculous, they even differentiated that swearing toward Jerusalem was more binding than swearing on Jerusalem. Because you might swear on Jerusalem when you were in some other city far away, but if you're swearing toward it, well, then you're getting closer. You're thinking of the idea of going closer to it, so that would be more binding. They got down to those kinds of details. And they wrote all this out, and they spread it around and expected everybody to keep it. So you see, though, in a culture like that, with this writing, with this distribution, how they might be considered the experts. Thinking through everything in such a detailed way. When in reality, what they're doing was following their wicked hearts to manipulate the law to get away with sin. And still feel spiritual as they did it. So when Jesus says... You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. What they heard was to the Lord. And anything promised in the name of the Lord, yeah, that had to get done. But other stuff, well, that was fair game for lies and manipulation. The truth, however, is that all things are to the Lord. Now, having been taught what the law doesn't mean... Let's see what our Lord says the law does require. Okay, verse 34. Uh, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And, And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white 
or black. Some folks put a period right after, do not take an oath at all, period. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the, the, if you know from history, European Anabaptists, the Quakers, are some groups uh, who interpret the verse that way. They put a period after, do not take an oath at all. Uh, fun fact, we were talking about presidential oaths earlier. There's actually one U.S. president who did not solemnly swear but instead said that he affirmed that he would faithfully execute the office of the presidency. Franklin Pierce, all of you are guessing that, right? Franklin Pierce, the 14th president, he was a Quaker. And so he took the oath of office, but, he, but in his mind, he said, well, I didn't take an oath because I didn't say solemnly swear, I said affirm. See, see how that goes when we get that way? But as we saw, there's no period there in the sentence. Christ had more to say. And there are four examples that Christ gave for people not to take an oath by. In the sense of, don't take an oath like this to try to get away with something. Okay? Uh, so first one. He says, don't take an oath by heaven and think you're going to get away with breaking your promise. Well, why? Because heaven is God's creation and, and where his throne resides. To swear by heaven is to swear by God. Second, don't take an oath by the earth and think that it's less important to follow through. Why? Because earth is God's creation. It belongs to him. To, to swear by the earth, is, it's still under God's jurisdiction. A third, don't swear an oath by Jerusalem with an intent to fall short of your promise. Why? Well, because Jesus is king. And he will rule and reign there. Who made Jerusalem? Who chose it as his dwelling place on earth? Well, God did. To swear by Jerusalem is to swear by God's chosen city, is to swear by God. Fourth, don't swear even by your own head. As, as if your own head could vouch for anything. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Who decides that conception will take place? Who decides when a soul leaves the body at death? Our very lives are in his hands. He knows the number of hairs on our heads. To swear by my own life is still to swear by our sovereign and omnipotent God. Romans 11.36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. The, there aren't things, there aren't things outside of God or outside of his rule and reign that are fair game to manipulate for false promises. That just doesn't exist. A Colossians 1, 16, 17 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. For him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Anything and everything we might try to use to make a promise, to make a vow, uh, to bind ourselves by an oath, it all belongs to God anyway. And notice Jesus never said, don't swear an oath by God or to God. Remember Deuteronomy 6.13 said, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. 
So Jesus isn't saying, don't ever make a promise or an oath, period. God even made oaths. God made oaths. If God makes an oath, well, if an oath is a sin, then that means God's a sinner. But God made an oath. And not to make sure that he would follow through, as if he was worried he wouldn't, he's perfectly righteous. God made an oath to encourage man to believe. God was being gracious and speaking to us on her level. He, Hebrews six thirteen through 18 recounts the promise of God given to Abraham back in the book of Genesis. It says this, uh, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Notice the unchangeable character of his purpose. So that by two unchangeable things, here's number two, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And by the way, that refuge and hope is Jesus Christ himself. Uh, The Apostle Paul, inspired by God the Holy Spirit, made several oath-type statements throughout the epistles as well. Uh, For example, Romans 1, 9 and 10 says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Paul was saying, I promise you before God that I pray for you guys all the time. And Paul makes the same God is my witness type of vow in 2 Corinthians 1, 23, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 5 and verse 10, and in Philippians 1, 8. So through these epistles... Jesus Christ also spoke under oath in his trial before the high priest. In Matthew 26, if you want to turn there, you can for sure. Matthew 26, 62 uh, through 64. After trying to get all the bogus witnesses to, to find fault in Jesus and failing, the high priest questions Jesus directly. Now, this, is, this is neat. Check this out. Verse 62, Matthew 26. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And I'd not thought about this before studying this for this message this week. This is, this is pretty sweet. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. And with that statement right there, the high priest just put Jesus under oath in court. That was his being put under oath right there. And then he asks him, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Remember, before that, Jesus was silent. The high priest puts him under oath, asked this straightforward question, and Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. At that point, hearing that, the high priest tore his robes. They found Jesus guilty of blasphemy, punishable by death, according to the law. They found him guilty of blasphemy for calling himself the Son of God, which he is. 
But did you see what Jesus just did? This was a massively important moment and a massively important statement. And Jesus waited until he was put under oath in this trial to give his answer. The whole time this trial has been done outside of the rules of proper conduct. And when the chief priest starts questioning Jesus directly, he, he could have answered right there, but he didn't. He waited silently until what he was about to say was official. And held the full weight of being under oath before Almighty God, before the court. And then he told them. So, all that being said, if Jesus spoke under oath, if Paul wrote these kinds of words to quote-unquote swear with God as his witness, and, and if God had given these oaths in the Old Testament, it really wouldn't make sense to say that Jesus is calling all oaths sinful here in Matthew 5. So then, what's he saying? And what Jesus is saying is that every oath, every promise, every vow you give, even if you try to make it a lesser vow based on something else, every vow, every oath is before God. They're all binding. They are all required to be fulfilled. And whenever you fail to fulfill your word, you are sinning against God. Whether you make it a big promise, a fancy vow, uh, at a solemn occasion, or even if you simply say, I'm going to do this, fill in the blank. Yeah, I'll take care of that. Either way, our word and our subsequent actions are under the authority of God, and therefore also liable to the justice of God. And so with that... Jesus gives the spirit of the law in verse 37. Matthew 5, 37, Jesus says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. All of this oath-making and swearing and requiring vows, what commandment does that go back to? Well, how about Exodus 20 again? The Ten Commandments, verse 16, commandment number 9, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't lie. Don't lie. Said positively in Ephesians 4.25, therefore putting, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth. Speak the truth with his neighbor. Be honest. Tell the truth. Keep your word. Do what you say you're going to do. Give accurate and honest reports. Answer people's questions truthfully. When we have to say, I swear, fill in the blanks, where does that come from? Where does that come from? When we have to take an oath to promise to share the truth, why does that even exist? Why is that a thing we have to do? Well, we know the answer to that question. It's because people lie. People lie. All people. And why did the scribes and Pharisees make up these loopholes to be able to swear and to take oath, but still think that they were getting away with lying? Because people's hearts are evil. And we'll try super hard and we will use all of our mental energies to find ways to justify what we're doing. 
That's our nature. God requires truth. Not just outwardly, but in the innermost being. Psalm 51, 6, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. That's cool, though, too. That verse says that he delights. Isn't that great? We think of God sometimes as God hates this, God hates this, God hates this. God also delights in truth in the inward being. In Proverbs 6, 16 and 17, Solomon shares seven things that are an abomination to the Lord. The second is a lying tongue. Proverbs 12, 22 says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. And get this, after the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John sees the great white throne judgment, the new heavens, the new earth, and he's told this in Revelation 21, verses 5 through 8. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Why? Because God is always trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly... The faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is all going to happen. Guaranteed. Because God has promised this. And his yes is always yes. And his no is always no. There is no sin in him. He cannot lie. Uh, Titus 1-2 also says this, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. There's no lying in God, but there is in us. There is no sin in God. He is completely righteous and unchangeable. There never will be sin in God. We have all fallen short. Remember, one of the purposes of the law is to show us that we do fall short. The scribes and Pharisees were using the law to get away with sin, or at least to think they were getting away with sin. But what we're supposed to see in the law is that we are sinners. We are guilty. We are all in that list from Revelation 21. Those who deserve that second death of hellfire. We're all in that list. But God... But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. After the high priest and the Sanhedrin found Jesus guilty of claiming to be God the Son, remember they turned him over to the Romans to nail him up on the cross. And at the cross, God the Son took our sin on himself so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be saved. He conquered for us. And we are made conquerors and victors in him. So as we close, as we look at these passages, these six examples 
of the misuse of the law. This is what we should be doing with them. This could be really a, a repeat each week, these things. Number one, we're to see that the law, what the law actually teaches. We need to see what the law teaches, what God requires. Number two, we are to see that we've fallen short. That we truly are uh, to be poor in spirit and in need of rescue. Number three, so that we cry out to God for his mercy in salvation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And then number four, then being made a new creation in Christ, the old passes away, the new comes, the old man is being put off, the new being put on. And we are now hungering and thirsting. Remember that word in Revelation 21? Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So that in the, in the instance of our passage today, church, we seek to be honest people. Our yes means yes. Our no means no. And when it's appropriate to take a vow, to take an oath, we can do so. Uh, but our word should be good regardless. Because we know that our Lord and Master and our Savior is worthy. He is worthy of our truthfulness. And because we increasingly desire to love our neighbor as ourselves. We want to speak the truth to them because we love them. So if you're here today and you know and you see from this passage that, that you are a sinner, that you have sinned against God and, and you've never asked for his forgiveness, cry out to him today. Put your faith in Christ's finished work at the cross for your sin and become a follower of Jesus today. And then Christians, may we hunger and thirst for righteousness. In God's grace, may we be an honest people. And when you mess up, when you lie, confess it. Confess it. When we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the best way with your neighbor, the best way to start building trust back up with, with your spouse, your family, your friends, your co-workers, your fellow church members, the best way to start building that trust back is to start being honest with them as soon as possible. Confess. Tell them the truth about what you said or what you did. Start earning their trust back. And then in your honesty, as you build and then maintain a reputation of being a reliable, trustworthy person, like our Father. And in that honesty, being pleasing to God, delighting Him, you will also serve as salt in the earth, won't we? And shine a great, bright light for Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for um, the words that we see in Scripture, that you are trustworthy and true. That every single promise you have made will come to pass. Lord, we thank you for the promise that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That we can look to Christ, uh, repent of our sin, put our faith and trust in him alone, 
and know that we know that we have become your children, that you have saved us, forgiven us of our sin, that when we die in this world, we will be present with our Lord, that we will be with you in eternity and have perfect fellowship with you, that, that all the sin that remains in our hearts and our, our desires will be taken away, that we'll be made to be just like Jesus. Lord, we thank you for these amazing promises and the ability that we can have by faith to, to know that you are absolutely reliable. And God, I pray that you would continue to work in us. May we, Lord, be an honest people. And the temptation to tell the white lies or the temptation to, to try to use our words to make a situation feel less uncomfortable. Lord, help us to see where the words that we say may come from a motivation of self-interest or self-protection. That we would truly love you and love others. And that, Lord, our reputation as a consequence would be a way that we can point people to Jesus Christ. Lord, be honored and glorified through us in this way. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.